straight 2500 today is <coughs> march the 17 2000 before i read what i wrote i have to be saw a review of a the history, if you may recall or not, but back in the 1800s in Britain, particularly, but in Europe, but there was this big, it was known as several names with the adjectives, but of bubbles, the South Sea Company, and it was the South Sea Bubble. England got all carried away with stock investments, was what happened. And it started off that they were, somebody came up with the idea of selling stock uh, and raising tulips. And that got to be in uh, foreign commerce and import-export. And it just became just a maniacal activity that people were borrowing every cent they could get and just every day. And it was just on and on. And then they were selling stock in a company that was going to insure women's virginity. That's how desperate, but anyway, I was looking through, I was reading, and one of them, I had to write it down. The climax of it all, the height of it, was one guy who put out an ad soliciting investors, and it said, investment opportunities, and they were described as being for, quote, the carrying out of an undertaking of great advantage, but nobody to know what it is <laughs> and said that the man made enough that he left the country and never came back alright the reason I bring it up is not just to get a laugh as soon as I read that that reminds me of the effort to awaken the undertaking of an activity of great advantage yes 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 but nobody to know exactly what it is <laughs> And I thought, yes, that's what all would-be mystics do. Put, we put a great investment in a thing that promises a great advantage. I know it says, every time you read about it, it says, or it gives the goal, like to awaken or enlightenment, but you know, if you remember, you had no idea what it is. And now, even if you know what it is from experience, you don't know what it is. But there it is, an investment opportunity to great advantage. Yes, 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 yes. But nobody to know exactly what it is. Okay. Anyway. And one more. This was not just from today's news, but something that struck me for some reason. Something I know you've heard about. It's very common. Is people showing up at hospitals or get arrested or they call, they go into an emergency room. And sometimes it seems to be very common that they come in with little homemade aluminum skull caps and things on. But their story is that it's usually aliens or else it's the government now from satellites are forcing thoughts into their head <coughs> and thus controlling their mind. And they're doing all kinds of things. All right, rather than be the nutty kooks that they're taken to be, they may be saner than everybody else. If you have any idea what I've been getting at lately. 
And of course, I don't mean that the government or aliens, but the whole idea. Similar to what I pointed out to you several weeks ago when I was talking about the voice, that it's very common. Well, it's just the rule that people who talk to themselves out in public, always mumbling, just walking the streets, talking to themselves, are considered to be deranged. And I pointed out that, contrary, they could be staying sane. Because as I was pointing out to you, or asking you to check for yourself, when the voice, when you speak, the internal voice becomes moot. It either disappears or it is merged with your speaking voice. But in that same way, I, it just suddenly struck me, because I've heard about them for years. People, I've seen pictures of them that show up in hospitals. They pick them up off the street. They got all kinds of, for some reason, I guess aluminum foil is cheap or they can get it with fast food. But they'll have all kinds of hats made, and, or sometimes they'll have pie pans that they have strapped. And, and they say this to help protect them because they're forcing. Well, sometimes they say they're reading their minds. The government's trying to, but it's very common they say that these outside alien kinds of forces are sending down thoughts and controlling their mind. And of course, everybody goes, <laughs> But the people that go out, do those people ever say, well, let's see, who's controlling my mind? No, because if ordinary people did that, they would go crazy. But see, if you're crazy to start with, you can get by with it. But if ordinary people thought, boy, that's crazy that aliens are controlling their mind, well, let's see, it's good that I control my mind, except, let me check here, and they check for a few minutes, Maybe a couple of hours they have to do it. They can't believe it. And they go, ooh, I never realized that. Those people may not be so crazy after all. But never mind. Here's what, I <laughs> what can you say when you're confronted with that kind of possibility? Well, never mind. Let's don't worry about it now. <laughs> Especially since it's too late, but... Well, wait a minute, I just thought of something else. <laughs> Think about this. I've, I've seen this and tried to point out to you, speaking about the conspiracy years ago in another way, but think about this. The idea that the government is controlling your mind. Let's just say the government. Or, or, you know, some kind of conspiracy. It could be aliens, but the point is people who say that, it's like there's, that, that, that there is this great conspiracy of people who are much stronger or much smarter, at least much stronger than they are, like the government or some secret conspiracy of old men up in the mountains of Tibet. But think about the idea that they are controlling my mind. They're forcing me to think what I think. All right. But nobody ever cares it this far. Like for the person to do that and then to stop and to see what goes on in their mind and to think that's the best they can do. That is what kind of conspiracy. I don't have anything to fear. These people are dumb as hell. If they're forcing these thoughts in my mind, and this is the world government, or this is aliens, superior aliens from space, they're idiots. You know, I'm smarter than they are because I criticize what goes on in my mind. And if that's, they're sitting down and think, well, we got him now. We'll force him to think these thoughts of ours. They're idiots, you know. 
They're pygmies, mentally. I just, I had to share that with you. <laughs> All right, here's what I wrote for this occasion. A speaker on the matter of mental alteration so said to an audience, quote, the trick is to neither reject thought nor embrace it. And someone in the crowd asked, what is it in us that can either reject or embrace thought? And the speaker replied, the same thing in you that presently asked me the question. And the man then said, but it is only a thought in me that made my mouth speak the question. So it is a circle without beginning or end. And your directive, as fine as it may sound, is meaningless, is it not? And the speaker replied, most assuredly. And in that you realize it, I'm glad I could be of service. Even though, this even though this episode makes another primary point, there is nonetheless potential usefulness, if you need it, in the idea of neither rejecting nor embracing thought. It's always good advice to get out of the way of a man either seeking the truth or fleeing from it. For either way, a man on a frantic merry-go-round can run you down. I can't let us leave this area without finally mentioning that legendary figure who stood atop the canyon's highest bridge, tied securely to the illusionary bombardier bungee cord, bungee cord, who mightily cried as he prepared to jump, I reject all thoughts and unconditionally embrace my rejection. A man asked a purported mystic, How can I be of an enlightened mind? And the mystic replied, Do not have dark clouds in your mind. And the man reflected on this reply for a bit, then said, That sounds good, but I have come to realize that the dark clouds I find in my mind do not originate there. So, where do they come from, and how can I stop them before they enter my mind? And the alleged mystic's face fell in apparent embarrassment, and the man said, You don't know, do you? And shamefaced, the mystic nodded that he didn't. But then his face suddenly brightened up as he hopefully exclaimed, uh, Well, I guess you could watch what you eat. When working on the mind, you could be on the right battlefield, but battling the wrong foe. Those thugs in the trenches weren't born there, you know. And another guy asked a man, who it turns out probably was a mystic, quote, does anyone actually know what they're doing? And the guy replied, only those who say they do. And the man chewed on this for a moment and said, it's a joke, right? You know the jokes you find out there in the foxholes didn't get out there all by themselves. There was once a man who became trapped in a house of vapors 
the vapors came from his own breathing. Once upon a time, there was a man whose solution to being asleep and deluded was, quote, neither reject nor embrace your breathing. And I will not insult you by noting that he may have used the word breathing as a metaphor for something else entirely. A man told a friend, as far as seeing what's really going on, everyone looks everywhere except in the right place. And his friend asked, how can you tell that you're looking in the wrong place? And the man said, if you're thinking about where you're looking, it's the wrong place. There was once a bird spotter whose supreme aim was to see this one exotic bird that had always eluded him. It turned out that it flew too fast to be seen by normal sight. And it further turned out that it only flew when he thought about it. Which suddenly reminds me of the legendary question that some say was the very beginning of all attempts to change one's state of mind. And it was, what is it that doesn't exist unless you think about it and is impossible to see as long as it is in an active state of existence? Which I guess brings us back to the beginning of this verbal episode that said, quote, to see what's really going on, everyone looks everywhere except in the right place. At least we can't say we weren't warned. Oh, yeah, and that story about a guy who has invented binoculars that look back at you when you look through them, <clears throat> turns out that was a hoax. It was a joke, right? The son asked his father, are we after a pure mind, an empty mind, or a still mind? And his dear papa replied, how about a hard of hearing one? Below the cortical level, all is timeless. Above it, everything is chipmunks. Somebody pick up the phone. Somebody put down that phone. I don't want that call. Don't bother me. I'm waiting on that other call. Hey, leave me alone. Can't you see I'm on the phone? A man who for years had studied with an enlightened master one day rushed to him exclaiming, I finally got it all figured out. And the master commentary said, no, you don't. <laughs> the man thought about this for a while, then softly said, oh. I will not insult you by verbally noting the point of this story. For anyone still unable to decide whether to reject or embrace thought can easily figure it out for themselves. Man talking about the material world outside of him is science. Man talking about himself is meaningless speculation. You can measure a tree's height, but only guess at the mind's width. After studying many years with a certain mystic and one day upon suddenly deciding that he had been misled all along, 
A man rushed into the mystic's room and screamed, I am outraged. To which the mystic calmly replied, No, you're not. You're asleep. After finding himself unable to satisfactorily complete the metaphysical journey from Paris to Istanbul, one man headed off toward New Zealand. Karakistan? The middle of the Atlantic? By thought, all men are mental gods made. For with each breath we create, then destroy the secondary reality in which we so predominantly swim. And all the fish in the common school sang, we embrace the water, we reject the water. It is so that they must sing to remain a part of the school. For a few, from a particular view, there is a something that puts you awake, then makes you asleep. And the fish who knows is the one who realizes the impotent foolishness of rejecting or embracing the water in that it and he are inseparable. The mental worlds we create and destroy with each breath come from nowhere and go to nowhere in that all worlds are an unrecognized singularity. After years of attempting to follow the school's central dictum of, quote, know thyself, one monk was finally taken aside by the headmaster and told, listen, it's not actually a matter of knowing yourself, but of knowing the mechanism that knows yourself. And after a momentary reflection of this, the neophyte thought, now you tell me, to which the master replied, yes. And just at the right time, no? Question, what's it like to want to awaken during the time that you don't really understand what it's about? Answer, it's like a shadow trying to sustain a dislike of itself. One man notes, quote, the ever-changing different elements that seem to make up me come and go as regularly as the t minutes tick away. Where does this me come from and where does it go? No, better I should ask, what is the sole source of this sensation of a me? And after a brief reflection on his own question, he repeated his opening. The ever-changing different elements that seem to make up me come and go as regularly as the minutes of my life tick away. Below the, level of, below the cortical level of thought, all is timeless. Above it prevails the law of apparent chaos. 
And from his overhead plane, one pilot suggested, quote, for smooth flying, the trick is to neither reject nor embrace the apparent chaos. Headline regarding that popular subject, the so-called illusions of the world. It's certainly easy to overlook, but the illusions of the world do not exist out in the world, but in your mind. Well, I can't resist stopping for a minute. Uh, I did label, or I did open this comment by it's certainly easy to overlook. Everyone overlooks it. Everyone talks about, including me, but everyone talks about the illusions of the world. But those involved with activities such as this throughout history, they have been the main circulators of that verbal currency, the idea that there are illusions. It's just, it's built in. If you pick up any book on uh, Buddhism and the major religions, especially the older ones. That are based upon what in the Western world we now at a later date uh, would consider to be founded on a mystical approach. The full range of the Vedic literature, all the Buddhist literature taken as a whole, all the way from India into China, into Tibet. They constantly are harping on the illusions of the world. The idea of waking up is a waking up from the illusions of the world. The idea of enlightenment is enlightenment such that a light brings out the illusions so that you see them for what they are. And it's always treated. It's never speculated. There's, no, there's never any discussion of it. The illusions are treated as illusions out in the world. And that if you do not have an awakened mind, if you are of an ordinary, sleeping, unenlightened mind, the illusions of the world snare you. You're misled. You're kept ignorant. You'll never realize the truth of what's going on. And yet, when I thought about this way and wrote this, without any doubt, I would think that the people who say that, if questioned at all, would admit that that's not what they really mean. That is, as I put in here, the illusions of the world, in quotation marks, the illusions of the world, who, whatever they are, from a Muslim view, from a Jewish view, from a Hindu view, from a Buddhist view, the illusions of the world, the very things we're struggling against, no one notices, no one takes into account, no one takes specific notice that the, quote, illusions of the world are not out in the world. They're in your mind. As I said, if I put it that way to them, I feel sure that all of them go, well, yeah, if you want to put it that way. However, what other way you want to put it? 
There are no illusions out in the world. Out in the world, when it's hot, it's hot. When it's cold, it's cold. When it's light, it's light. When it's dark, it's dark. If you go up a mountain, you have to climb up it. If you go down a valley, you have to go down in it. If there's a big rock that you want to pick up and move, you have to pick it up to move it. There's no illusions there. And if you trip and fall on the rock and hit your head on the rock, it'll hurt your head. If it's real heavy and you try to pick it up, you can't pick it up. There are no illusions out there. There are no illusions below the cortical level. Which is why, if you never thought about it, hippos do not hallucinate. No one's even ever questioned the matter. No one's ever even suspected. Because it's obvious. Nobody's ever even thought about it. No zoologist has ever wondered. You know, they, they speculate nowadays on this kind of thing about do animals think. But nobody goes beyond that and goes, I wonder if they hallucinate. If they think, do they hallucinate? Do they see illusions? And even if some zoologist uh, was overheated someday and that thought just passed his mind, I mean, he would immediately, you know, come to his senses, so to speak. Let's say that he was an expert, had been studying, observing hippos for years. He would go, no. Because if they were hallucinating, I would have noticed something. Even if I hadn't put that word on it, then, you know, something would happen. If I'd suddenly a hippo rushed out of the water and started running around charging at something that wasn't there, and you know, doing his hair down and trying to stop, and you look out and you think, well, he's hallucinating. No animal ever shows any signs of hallucinating. I bring that up not just for no reason, because there's some more in here. I'm already touching on it. But there's some more that I've written that bears directly on what I'm saying. If you can pick it up, and if not, when I get through, I guess I'll talk about it anyway. But I challenge you. We've got eight or nine more pages, and it's in here. Back to the reading. A guy stood up at a recent gathering and made this declaration, quote, this, I'm going to wake myself up and be enlightened thing that everybody's talking about is tantamount to saying, I'm going to kiss my own lips. He then looked around as though inviting questions from the audience, but everyone was too involved in puckering their lips and rolling their eyes upward. I don't know. Maybe it was a convention of wishful thinkers. One man said, what I like about impending unpleasant events is that they take my mind off of me. And his brother responded, but how can that be? Your mind is you. Thus, no matter the subject of your present thoughts, your mind is always still on you. Headline, a look at that certain matter from a temporal view. Neither reject nor embrace the instant moment. And someone asked, is the trick to being enlightened to be indifferent? And I reply, 
Being indifferent is the same as being enlightened. But this indifference is not the same as usually understood. This enlightened indifference is not of a mental nature, not cortical, but is like the type natural to our subcortical existence. Don won a prize, I spotted what I was looking for. It might in fact be better labeled instead of indifferent, impersonal, for it is only in our cortical realm that we take life personally while subcortically we have not even the mechanism to take life personally. Thus a man who's caught on to what's going on neither rejects nor embraces the life that seems to happen to him. For whatever it may be, he does not take it personally and is thus indifferent to come what mentally may. One man's ode to that certain matter. The best thing about the voice in my head is it leads the life I wish that I led. Okay. If tis true, as often said, that poverty is required to awaken, then the poverty needed is in being without either rejection or embrace of thought so that a man can say I have nothing to give I have nothing to withhold at which time a man has said it all and is now properly poor I can't resist the heart of all these papers she hadn't caught on was in, from different views of not embracing or rejecting thought, the immediate moment, the now, neither rejecting nor embracing the fact that the mind continually with each breath is creating and then destroying and recreating our secondary reality. But the idea the way I put in the terms of neither embracing, that is accepting or rejecting thought, neither embracing or rejecting your mind is the real stage. We start off, most people never get beyond it, rejecting the mind. They may call it other things, rejecting their carnal spirit, rejecting uh, their sleeping mind, rejecting their uh, mechanical eyes, been called all kinds of things. But the point is, for a man to undertake this, he does not find himself acceptable. And I'm saying rather than, as most people do, spend all their life, they may say on their deathbed that they had some success, but they will admit that they are still struggling. That is, they still reject, at least in part, the truth is, in whole. But the mind tends to say that it has made some progress. That is, every time the mind goes into the temple of wisdom and it comes out the same, the mind says it comes out differently. So even though a man on his deathbed that has been struggling to awaken or achieve enlightenment can say, quote, as truthfully as possible, but can say that he has made progress, he will still say, that he has not reached perfection. So what he is saying is he still has occasion, still has the need, still has the cause to reject 
himself in part. And I'm pointing out that, which is really nothing new in words, but to ever really get somewhere, if you do get somewhere, then you realize what I'm saying is that you're neither rejecting nor embracing or accepting what you are. Because if you're doing one or the other, you're done for. But you have to start off doing it, and you start off rejecting. And the way in which I talk about it up until now is we're rejecting the mind. You're rejecting the thoughts. You're rejecting normal consciousness in you. All right, rather than saying that we should be, or the trick would be to neither accept nor reject, see if you can get this. That's not really the best way of putting it. Of course, there is no best, there is no perfect way of putting anything verbally. But instead of saying that we should neither reject nor embrace thought, let's say, the mind, you know what would be better? I mean, so much better. And listen, it's not a joke. Rather than say it that way, a better way would be to say that we should, and there's two, two ways to do it, that we should not reject the mind, nor not not reject the mind. Or the other possibility, we should not embrace our mind, nor should we not not embrace our mind. I can still recall a day that that had a great impact on me when I realized that. Because I had read similar things throughout my life. I'm not the first one to put it in some term similar to that. And at first it just sounded like playing with words. It did for me like much of what I used to read. Then I just thought, well, it's, it's cleverness, which I understand. I can be clever, at least as far as I'm concerned, not bragging, but I can be clever with words. I can be clever with words in such a way that they can pass for being of great significance. Not that you possibly can't use it, but that it sounds de facto that they are intrinsically of metaphysical importance. And it's really a form of cleverness. This is more than that. Not staying alone, but compared to. Instead of saying that the real trick, the most efficient method, if you can find out how to do it, if you can find the reality behind this, I know what I mean by it is to say that you should not be, or you should be striving, however you want to term it, to neither be accepting the mind, your state, what you seem to be internally, neither rejecting it, nor embracing it, nor accepting it. It would be better put to say, you should not be, not be rejecting it, but not be not rejecting it. It is not the same thing. Ooh. Uh. Or the other possibility, same thing, is to not embrace, not accept the mind as it is, but also do not, not accept it. Those are not the same thing as to say don't accept it or reject it. It is not the same thing. Really, it's not.
And the last page, when your mind does not know the truth, life outside of you is one way. When your mind does know the truth, life outside of you is the same as it was. That is, when it's dark, it's dark. When it's light, it's light. And that's all there is to it. Uh, I actually wrote about everything that satisfies me. Now, if you can see it, I have personally found it useful using several different words, and it all amounts to the same thing. Uh, the old idea that you cannot awaken as long as you have a preference. And as I brought out again, uh, there's something in all religions, Christianity and Judaism has made a great deal out of it, which most of you are more familiar with that, the idea that a man, only a poor man, can enter the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor and all that. And I have mentioned this in the past. It would be a poverty of preference. It would be a person, and all you can do, if you can't do it already, then all you can do is struggle with it like everything else. Because it would be, and it is, enough of you have had the experience of so-called being in that anomalistic state of being awake for a few hours or a couple of days, and if you think back, now remember, we're talking about from the cortical level up. We're not talking below the cortical level. It's a different story. But from the cortical level up, that is mentally, for the length of time that you were in that state, you had no preference. When I used indifferent again tonight, I almost stopped as a joke to do a pickup of Wednesday and say, by the way, I know that sounds harsh, and I don't want you to take it the wrong way. <laughs> How can you take indifference the wrong way? If you take, if I say that, <laughs> that an awakened man, if I just said outright that an awakened man is indifferent to life, he's indifferent to everything. And then I go, well, wait a minute. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea because some of you are going to think, wait a minute, I can't be indifferent to my family's health, or I can't be indifferent to the fact that injustice is rampant on this planet. I can't be indifferent to hunger. And I'd say, well, now, you know, come on, you know I didn't actually mean that. Well, what the hell does indifferent mean if it doesn't mean indifferent? And it just shows how asleep you are if you're not, in, if you're not indifferent to the idea of indifference, taking it as worse. You mean like being indifferent to injustice? Okay. Well, wait a minute, I can't accept that. I don't think I want to wake up. I think you're wrong. So you reject the idea of being indifferent. Uh-huh. You can be indifferent about everything except these few things. Uh, the poverty would be of a discrimination, mentally, of having preferences. And again, this idea has been verbally chewed upon and passed around for several thousand years in that kind of form. But it's still, every time I hear people, 
or read people talking about it and trying to dissect the idea, they always look outside of themselves. What they do, here's what it amounts to, is they turn the mind to subcortical areas and say, well, what it means that an awakened man or to achieve enlightenment, a man should have no preferences. What that means is, and then they start lapsing into such as this. They look below the cortical level. And they start saying, well, what I should do then is I'll eat bark. I'll start off perhaps and I'll eat food that I don't like so as to wean myself from my preference. Like right now, I love sweets. So I'll, I'll drop all sugars and I'll live off none but fats and carbohydrates. And then when I get accustomed to that, I will. I'll start trying to eat dirt. And instead of uh, keeping the temperature in my house around 69, 70 degrees, I'll turn the furnace off completely. And just whatever the weather is, when it's cold, I won't care because I prefer to be sort of toasty. I prefer it around 70. And so I'll struggle against that. You know people have been doing that. They're doing it right now. Monasteries of all stripes are full of people wearing hair shirts, going barefooted on cold ground, eating cold food, eating gruel, and not even getting seconds, but eating gruel, going without sex, going without sleep. The reason I brought up the hippos and the beforehand, there is a place that you can find in you a living example of what I mean by being indifferent, being without preference. Or as I said, uh, and finally after years of thinking about it, I personally, when I say indifferent, I usually think to myself impersonal. So I decided to go ahead and <coughs> share that with you. The word's still not perfect, but it's impersonal, is the kind of indifference. And you don't have to look for theory. You don't have to really speculate on what it is. From the cortical level down, if you discount what takes place in your brain at the cortical level, in the cortical area, then if you discount that, the rest of your existence, your nervous systems, your spirit, as they used to be called, which is a nervous system, but your spirit's reaction to life is indifferent in the sense that it's impersonal. And this gets, I guess, verbally tricky, but just listen real quick, and I'm going to stop before I beat it to death. At first, your mind, if you're following what I'm saying, might, might say, well, boy, have you got it wrong? Because, for instance, the body truly has preferences. The body prefers to be fed than to starve. Yeah? It prefers to not have its foot sitting in a fire, yes. It prefers to get sleep rather than wear itself out and fall from exhaustion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't get it. It doesn't take it personally. Well, notice most of you, well, I know it's fairly common that uh, most of you that I know have pets and if you live long enough, one of your pets will die. And if you're around when it happens, uh, you know, and you're close to it, it can, as they say, break your heart. But you can look at the dog or the cat if it doesn't happen immediately. And if you look, and if you can hear what I'm saying, animals, which is us from the, more or less, you know what I'm saying. From the cortex down, we're animals, but animals without cortical activity they can be dying 
But they don't cry. They don't scream. They don't even look frantic. They just lay down and they go. You take hearing about that you may be dying personally. It is only with the mind that you can take life personally, that you can take things personally. That's why tonight I decided to try and stretch your perception of the word indifferent. Because, yeah, you can say that the body is not indifferent. You can say that a dog is not indifferent to stepping into a, uh, a fire. They're not indifferent, but they don't take it personally. If they walk over and they step in the fire when they're a pup, they do it one time, they pull their foot out, and they may whine, they may lick it, and they'll never again step in the fire. But it's only a human that will step into a fire and take it personally. You know, curse the gods. Or went, you know, who put this here? I, don't, I couldn't see that. Or if they want to take the blame, if they want to embrace their own mind or reject what their mind has done, they can go, God damn, talk about clumsy. I'm going to finally kill myself. It's bad enough that I drop things in the kitchen and bump my head. But can you believe this? I walked right up. I mean, there's a bonfire here, a campfire, and I was talking, or I, I don't know, I was thinking important mystical thoughts, and I stepped right in the son of a bitch and caught my shoe on fire. Oh, boy. Now, somebody bring me a mirror so I can look at the world's most awakened man. You have a preference. You see a difference. You take things personally. The mind is arranged to take things personally. One more time, if it didn't take it personally, that part of our brain, the so-called higher area, would not be so actively participating and always ready to participate in helping us survive, to figure out problems, to solve, uh, to rearrange the environment to make it more suitable for our survival. But if you take away the cortex, if you take away the mind, there's nothing in a human that takes life personally. You're indifferent. It's only the mind that is not indifferent. It is continually expressing preference. And again, you make a mistake if you look outside, which is the same thing as attempting without knowing it, is you're looking below the mental level. And the mind believes that there is well-founded bases for my preferences. And it can do what I've already done beforehand. They can say, well, I prefer to eat food that is not poisonous. Big deal. Well, I prefer not to, as you put it, step into a roaring fire. Wow. What your IQ must be. I prefer not to be out in a freezing rain for extended lengths of time in the nude. Well, let me write that down. Uh-uh. The preference, the indifference I'm talking about is the indifference towards what goes on in your mind. And you have to start off with a preference. You can't start off being indifferent or you would never try to do whatever this is. You would never try to alter your state of consciousness. But the time comes, or it came with me, and apparently it should come 
Not apparently. It should come for everyone. And I'm just trying to force it upon you. Is to at least take a look at it. It's nothing that's just easy to do. It's nothing you can just decide to do. Or if you can, be sure and you know, tell me how you did it. But at least look at the matter that I'm saying, without a doubt, that you'd be better off or that to be awake is to neither reject nor accept the mind. Or as I said, one more time, there's a difference. I should really say that you should not be rejecting your mental state, nor should you not not be rejecting it. But as long as you have a preference, you're stuck. It may seem as though you've gotten somewhere. That's what I tried to imply in that story about one man who, after years of struggle, and his seeming inability to ever actually complete in a satisfactory manner the metaphysical journey on my, remember my mystical express from Paris to Istanbul, after many years of uns being unable to, sat to satisfactorily complete it, he decided, what the hell, and he took off toward You get it? Toward the Ukraine, toward Georgia, toward Armenia. The point is, off at a right-hand angle from a line, that's what I was insinuating, that he took off in a different direction. But you shouldn't take off in a different direction because it's the same thing as saying, well, don't go in the direction you've been going, but don't not go in the direction. Don't reject the direction in which you've been going but also do not not reject it. Don't reject what goes on in your mind, but don't not not reject it. Well, the, the dirty way always is, if you want to put yourself to sleep, it helps me sometimes. You've got to be up to a point that means something, I know. But at least try it. Maybe it'll start to mean something. You just tell yourself, well, I wouldn't be so asleep if I didn't keep trying to, if I didn't struggle so hard to awaken. Uh, one more time, and I'm going to stop. I feel like I didn't really, I wasn't satisfied. The part of us that actually runs our life, I know our mind talks about it and is a continual recorder of it, and it seems like that that's us. It seems like that that is in charge of our life, which, of course, is absolutely ridiculous if you try to look at it, because by the time your mind is talking about why you just did something, you're already doing it. That you keep thinking, well, will I get up and I don't know whether I... Did I cut off the uh, stove when I was in the kitchen? Is it on? Well, I sure like cut it off. And you sit and you sit. And you keep thinking, well, better I should go look. Because that flame, those new curtains that I hung up, they, well, and you go back to reading, and you go, well, maybe I should. And then whatever that was in your mind, you have already stood up and headed toward the kitchen. At least a split second before your mind is 
doing is making some observation about, well, you know, I got to do the smart thing. I'm going on there and look. You're already up and on the way. At least you, you surely know this by now. This is what I have always used that I've never been able to my satisfaction to explain to you. I think some of you know it anyway. Your muscles, if nothing else, before you are talking to yourself about it's a smart thing to go and check or whatever it is in your mind, like I should double check that I turn it off. What kind of stupid person lives here in this house, been operating a stove for 40 years, and I still don't know whether I shut it off, that I'm not in the habit. Whatever it is in your mind talking about, well, I'm going to go look, at the very least, you do know that the decision has been made in you to get up and go look. What I started to say is a physical example. Certain muscles in your thighs, your foot has already shifted in the, on the floor as you're there in the chair. You are already on the way to standing up, going to look in the kitchen before you have any thought at all about that's a smart thing to do and whatever's going on. What runs your life is not that which is behind or is not that based upon your mental preferences. What runs your life is indifferent to your mental preferences. Your mental preferences are an afterthought. They are a recording of it, an observing of it. When the mind has nothing better to do, that is when the cortical part of the brain has nothing else to do. And it's simply talking about what, what is going on. It's talking about the aliens and the, you know, the forces coming from satellites are controlling you. All it's doing is making note of it. So, of course, the force is not coming from alien satellites, I guess. <laughs> that which is running your life, if it, ha it has an attitude, and if I could describe it for you, which it doesn't, that is, it can't describe it, but its attitude is what I usually say is indifferent. But if it throws you at all, it's impersonal. One final hint. I don't know how you... Look around at life. You're surrounded by them of people who are less driven by the mind. They still, I guess more or less to use figures, they still constitute the majority of this planet at any given moment. It's, it's all on a gradual spectrum, but you're surrounded by people whose life is less oriented, less directed as far as they're concerned from the mind than most of you people are, all of you probably. In a sense, they're less civilized. On that gradual scale, the further you get away from being civilized, the further you get away from being oriented around the mind, the less the people naturally take life personally. The less, and the further you go, the less concern they seem to show over themselves in observable manners. That is about the way they look, their manners, what other people think about them. Does anybody see what I'm pointing out? 
the closer you are to living, or the greater is the the more dominant is subcortical forces on a person's life, the less that person shows of taking themselves and what happens to them in life personally. They just kind of shrug things off. If somebody wants to talk to them like, don't you vote? You don't, you don't even know who your senator is? Or you talk to him, you don't even know who the president of the country is? My God, how can you live like this? Do you know that inflation is up three percentage points in the last six months? Do you know what that means? And they just shrug like, what the hell are you talking about? It doesn't bother you that you don't know who your senator is? They go, no. Do you realize to what a disadvantage you are in life of not knowing, not keeping up with current events? They just shrug and walk off. And the more that you are oriented around the mind, that is, the greater seems to be the importance of the secondary realm. You think, how can people love like this? Or you think, well, they're certain of hurting themselves, are they? Play the old game if you imagine that you are from another planet and look down on that kind of person and then look down at you. And, you're t and people like you, people that attitude, what difference would you see? Of course, the people in the first category throughout history and throughout now, they are, they make up the lower economic class. And so you could look down and say that their cars are not as nice and they live in cheap trailers rather than double wides like all of you who've made it in life. So you could say that. But if you looked inside, if in some way you could read their mind and their degree of happiness, what would be the difference? Because I put it to you one more way, if anybody's following this. It is not uncommon to hear the real upper classes, people in the upper class, both financially, socially, and of course, normally the people that make that up uh, are very oriented to the secondary reality. It is not uncommon for people there to at times look down at bricklayers out in bars. I've seen them do it with movies, just seeing that kind of people portrayed and trying to pick up the waitress and getting in fights and just getting drunk and just you know, singing along with a jukebox. And the titans of industry, the kind of people, bankers will look at that and kind of punch each other to themselves say, God, it must be, in a sense, great to be to live like that. Of course, they don't go try. But does anybody understand that there is, they're not just mumbling? Something strikes them. There is an appeal to being indifferent to life. But the appeal is mentally because people are below the mental level. They are indifferent. I wish I just didn't give a damn, some people say. Well, sir, wake up and you'll find out that <laughs> you are, it's already true. You don't give a damn. I hope you didn't take this the wrong way now when I say that. <laughs> of course, there you are again. Well, if you give a damn, you're not awake anyway. And so if I can say, well, an awake man doesn't give a damn, you think, well, no, nah, that can't be true. See? You're like the guy who rushed into the mystic 
who decides, you know, you misled me all this time. He didn't tell me. He just rushed in, and his look supposedly gave you away. And he said, "I am outraged." And they said, "No, you're not. You're asleep. Because you're outraged, you got a preference. If you're an outrage, you're outraged at something. You took something personally. Yeah, but you don't know why it is. I don't have to. If you took something personally, you're asleep. Again, don't look outside. Don't think. Well, that means you shouldn't take." other people's politics personally. If somebody is of a different religion, you shouldn't take it personally. Shut up. <laughs> it's what goes on inside your head. That's what not to take personally. And the truth is, below your head, you don't take it personally. Isn't that a good thing? I mean, what if you were a Protestant conservative and your liver, just for instance, was a liberal, <laughs> you know, Catholic? Can you imagine the kind of internal turmoil you would have if your intestines were one religion and your stomach another? I don't even want to think about it. And if they, they had the kind of conflict we see between the Protestants and the Catholics in Northern Ireland, just across the border, just from one neighborhood to another? What if just from your stomach, you know, just past the flap there into the, you know, the upper intestines, what if they were in conflict like that? Ooh. It would take more than milk of magnesia to get you through life. But the point is, below the cortex down, all of you, the part of you that runs your life, is indifferent or slice impersonally, but you, I hope now you see what I mean. It is really indifferent. It wants to live, but it's impersonal about it. When it dies, it doesn't take it personally. It doesn't take being alive personally. Only the mind takes it personally. And as long as you keep letting it take it personally, as long as from your view, you're taking it personally, whether it's taking it personally or not, that is, whether you like what's going on or not, don't you see? You're trapped. And you can't dislike your mind taking things personally. You can't dislike it out of existence. You can't dislike it so much, that is rejected so much, that it'll finally go, well, shit, if that's the way you feel, I'll leave. I can tell from talking to people and people's writings for thousands of years that the mystical world it's full of that attitude. Now I understand because I can taste it. I used to have it. That I can understand why it's so. But it's like, well, if I keep rejecting, if I keep picking on myself, if I keep going, boy, I'm asleep. I can't have you know, my mind just out of control, just having thoughts. As long as you do that, you're caught. So remember, from Wednesday night, I gave you some ways to approach, to try to approach the idea of achieving enlightenment, even while you don't really fully understand what it is. I gave you three good ways, and I'm talking about the same thing right now. Plan to be spontaneous, 
decide to be fatalistic and by God attempt attempt not to try if you do any of those you're a man without preference you're in touch not with your inner child you're in touch with your inner hippo <laughs> because you realize I'm impersonal I don't give a damn I hope you people didn't take that the wrong. Because <laughs> I hope you do. But now you should be the point and think, God, wouldn't that be great? I tried to write a story about that. I don't know whether I ever brought it. I kept intending to about a guy that finally decided that, all right, maybe I'll never completely wake up, whatever that is. But I tell you what, I'd settle if I could just, across the board, in toto, if I just could reach a point of not giving a damn. But now, wait a minute. See, I didn't do it because I was afraid that you'd take it wrong. Like equating not giving a damn with being enlightened. That's kind of tricky now. I don't want you to take it the wrong way. <laughs>